All right, well, we're going to look at um, three, the three characters of our, of our story, our metaphor. We're going to look at the true vine, we're going to look at the master gardener, and then we're going to look at the, the fruit-bearing disciples or the fruit-bearing branches. So the true vine, the master gardener, and the fruit-bearing disciples. Let's start with the true vine. Did you guys know that a vine, we're, we're clearly talking about a vine that bears grapes, uh, a, a vineyard, a, a vine that, that produces grapes, and they, they drank um, wine back there was safer than a lot of the water, and so this would have been a very um, common uh, scene. People knew what, what vines were, what grapevines were. They knew how they were used. They knew how they were tended. There was all kinds of common knowledge. But even more than that, did you know that the vine was a symbol for the nation of Israel? So in the same way that like uh, an eagle is a symbol for our country, the vine was a symbol for, um, for, the, for the people of Israel. And it was a very common symbol. As a matter of fact, right around Jesus' time, before and after his death, vines decorated Jewish coins. I actually put a picture up there for you. This, this is a coin that came right right after um, Jesus was alive, and uh, you can see that it has the grapes on the vine there as a symbol for the Jewish nation. Um, As a matter of fact, the whole front facade of the temple complex was decorated with this massive golden vine made out of pure gold, and it was so big. As a matter of fact, the clusters of grapes that were on this vine on the facade were as big as a man, they said. So this vine, they would have been a really common symbol for what it meant to be God's people, and it comes from the Old Testament. There are many places in the Old Testament where the scripture talks about um, God and his vineyard and his desire to see his people flourish and bear fruit. And maybe one of the most important references for us to make this morning is found in Isaiah. So I'm just going to read to you. It's actually Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read you the first two verses and the last one. But look at what, um, what God said way before the time of Jesus. God said this, Let me sing for my beloved a love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in it in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. For the vineyard is the Lord, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are his pleasing planting. But he looked for justice. But behold, bloodshed. And he looked for righteousness. But behold, an outcry. There was this prophecy from way before the time of Jesus that, that, that God was a vine, a vineyard, an owner of a vineyard, and, and that he was planting vines there that they would bear grapes, and unfortunately they didn't, and he went looking for the fruit that he ex- expected, and he never found it, and there was this outcry, this judgment against Israel for not being the kind of vine that God intended. And so when Jesus here says to his disciples, I am the true vine, he's saying something that's loaded with all kinds of imagery for the people, all kinds of significance. When he says, I'm the true vine, he's saying, I am what God always intended us to be. I am the one that bears the fruit. I am the one who, who God intended to plant that it would bring justice and righteousness to the nations. This is me, what God intended his nation to be. I am it. And so this, this, this beginning um, part of our passage today is so important to understand in that context because when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying something about how, how he was meant to be in the world and the role that he was meant to play. He is fulfilling God's intentions for his people. But it's not just that, that it, it fits that kind of cultural image. It's just that he's also the vine. 
And he says, I am the vine, and he says, well, you are the branches. And so what he's saying, he's saying something about the relationship between him and us. He's saying something about that he is the source of life, he's the source of identity, he's the source of meaning, that from him come all of the most important things for us. It would be just as silly as, you know, I thought about bringing in a stick today, but it's like super wet in my backyard, and I was like, ew, gross, right? <laughs> but think about a stick that fell off your tree last night because it fell off everyone's trees yesterday, right? And if I just took this dead stick and I stuck it in the ground and I said, grow, that'd be pretty foolish, right? Because a branch has to be connected to something to grow, something that, that pulls up all of the nutrients and the water and the, the things that it takes to, to make life happen. And so for Jesus to say, I'm the true vine, he's saying to you and I, I am the source that you have to stay connected to. Because I am the thing that will bring meaning and purpose and fruit and life to you. And not just that, he says he's the true vine. It's an important adjective. He's not the deceptive one. He's not the imaginary one. He's not the pretend vine. He's not the counterfeit vine. That in him is what is real, what God had always intended. And I think there's a warning in that for us, that we may be tempted to think that our source of life and meaning and purpose and identity may come from something other than Jesus. Jesus is warning us, beware of things that are false vines, false um, sources of meaning in your life. We see this all the time. We talk to students about this a lot. You know, we talk to them about how their culture is really designed to teach them that their primary identity and meaning in life is being a good kid, right? Go be a good kid, um, get all the good grades, be, a good, be good at sports, find something that you're good at at least, and that's going to bring meaning to your life. But Scripture says something totally different that Jesus is the source of meaning. And friends, so many of us are trying to plug into different vines to get life and identity and purpose. Maybe for you it was your career. Maybe it's the relationship that you're in. Maybe it has to do with um, things that you think are like make you important in the world or achievements or wealth or safety or all of these things we might look for in our lives and pour our energy into that might bring us purpose and direction. And yet Jesus says, I'm the true vine. You won't find sustaining life and meaning and purpose apart from me. So Jesus is the true vine, but notice what he follows that with. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. That word vine dresser, our, our translation chose vine dresser there. It's actually just a pretty generic word for farmer or gardener. Right, so my father, so Jesus says, my father is the gardener. My father is the, the farmer. My father is the one taking care of these plants. And, uh, and so for him, he's been talking about what his father does this whole night long. We've been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Jesus is so preoccupied in these passages we've been looking at in John that his disciples know who his father is. And that by knowing, his, knowing him, they know who his father is. Think about how the whole thing starts when Jesus is getting ready to wash his disciples' feet. It says that he knows he, is from the, he has come from the father and he's returning to the father. That everything is rooted in this relationship with God himself. And don't miss it, it's so critical, you guys, that we would know that the God of the universe, the one who has made it all, who sustains it all by his presence and his power and his word, that God who has made everything that they knew from their ancestors' past and everything that had shaped their life, that God has called you and I his child. We get to look at that God and say, you are our father. 
to the Father and all his tenderness and his, his relationship, all the sense that he is present and involved, that Father is now the master gardener. Look what he does. Look back down to verse 2. It says, My Father is the vine, dran- vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. About this time last year, I found myself up in Rockford with some time to kill, and I ended up at this Japanese garden. It's called the, I think it's called the Anderson Japanese Garden, which seems like a weird name for a Japanese garden, but <laughs> I think it's the Anderson Japanese Garden. Here's a picture uh, of it, um, uh, one small portion of it. Um, but I remember as I walked into the garden, there were these guys in hard hats and climbing gear and a ladder, and they were working on this tree. It wasn't like a particularly spectacular tree. I think it was, again, I know nothing. I'm pretty sure it was like a fir tree. What are the ones with needles? It was a needle tree, <laughs> right? Um, And so they were up in this tree, you guys, with scissors, with scissors, and they were, they were clip, clip, clipping, and clip, clip, clipping, and I thought, wow, they, like, they are really committed to what this tree looks like, clip, 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 clip. And so later as I was walking around, there weren't very many people there, I ended up striking a conversation with someone who worked there, and and she and then this other guy who worked there, the three of us kind of wandered, and they were telling me interesting things about the garden and what their job is. But one of the things that they told me was that this garden was built by a master gardener from Japan. And he came over and he spent all of this time and all of this intentionality to plan out this garden exactly how it should be. So that from every particular place he planned, there would be some sort of like important vision or idea that all these different levels, he planned that the plants would be at this ground level and plants that would be looking to be at this high and the trees and they needed to lean a certain way and be shaped a certain way so that the vision of the master gardener could be fulfilled and the guys that I had seen with the hard hat and the climbing climbing gear. They were specifically trained by this master gardener to care for the plants in the garden so that it would fulfill the gardener's vision. So here's God's vision. The purpose that God is is working towards in his vineyard is fruit. Did you see it? The goal of the gardener is to produce fruit. He has two things that he's doing to produce fruit. One thing is he's saying, look, if something's not working if it's, if it's not staying connected to the vine, if the branches are withering and dying, we need to take that away because it, it's going to get in the way. It's not going to do what I need it to do. And so we're going to take away the stuff that isn't working. And then did you notice, friends, so many of you in this room, you need to hear this right now, that it is the vine that produces fruit that he prunes. Well, again, I don't really know what I'm talking about, so I looked up what pruning is. <laughs> right? So pruning is like when you have this plant and it's got stuff on it that aren't going to be helpful for it to grow, right? Maybe it's like growth in the wrong place or the wrong kind of growth, or maybe it's not, it's not the flower you wanted or the fruit that you wanted, so you need to get rid of that so that the plant can be everything the plant was intended to be. And so pruning is the process of kind of taking away the things that will get in the way of fruit bearing, God removes that which doesn't produce, but God also prunes that which does produce. Pruning, it seems to be Jesus saying here, is the gardener's action that's reserved for branches that are already doing the things they're supposed to be doing. And the more we grow, the more he might prune. You know, Jesus is light on details here. Does that bother anyone else? Um, question, Jesus, when you say pruning, 
what, what actually do you mean here? You know, like, can we have a little more? And he just doesn't give it to us, right? So we, we're left to speculate on some things and to think about what it looks like. But I think the best way to describe it is that God looks at my life and he looks at your life and he looks at our lives and he says, you know, not that thing. That thing needs to go. You may look at our lives and say, yeah, this, this thing that, that you've invested in or this thing that you're growing into, like that, that, thing, that thing's going to get in the way of my plan. And that's not going to bear fruit, and so we need to eliminate that. And so he looks at our lives and he says, no, 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 not that. And he takes it away. We're left with a sense that pruning by the gardener is not pleasant. We're left with a sense, as a matter of fact, that it may be painful. This is something the scripture um, explores in a lot of different places. We're told that God sometimes allows some forms of suffering to come into our life as a work of discipline. That sometimes God is, God is at work asking us to do some difficult things, watching us wrestle through the loss of certain pieces of our character or our expectations so that he might produce greater fruit from our lives. The biblical authors talk so much about it, right? So you can think of Paul saying, look, suffering is about producing perseverance and character and hope. Think about um, Peter when he says, don't be surprised when suffering comes. This was God's plan. He knows what he's doing in your life. Or think about James when James says, look, don't, you know, like there's trials. Count it all joy when these trials come because God is at work in your life. Friends, there are things in our lives, desires, habits, character traits, that God the gardener has decided need to go. And so we must be willing to submit to that pruning work. The truth is that much of what is most noble in us, how many of you guys are old enough to know this, that much of what is most noble in us has come from that which we would have avoided at all costs? Some of the best things we know to be true about the world, we learned in some of the hardest places true? This is the pruning work of the master gardener who cares that our lives produce fruit. So what fruit is that? Well, almost universally across scripture, that fruit has to do with our character. You know, it'd be so much easier. It's like sometimes I just think, wow, God, it'd be so much easier if you just told me the fruit that you wanted was like, I'm going to need like 30 years of like good service in a church, and I'm going to need you to lead like 25 people to Christ, and if you could give away this many dollars, you know, I would love that, right? Wouldn't that be great? Okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. Here's the fruit my life is supposed to produce. But God doesn't talk about it that way. As a matter of fact, here's what he says. You remember what he says fruit is? It's love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit, right? So many other places we're reminded that the fruit that the gardener wants to produce in us is really about our character. It's not about the things that we do. Because the things that we do pour out of our character. So God is pruning our lives. God is pruning our lives that we might be more patient. God is pruning our lives that we might be more loving, that we might be more faithful, 
it's the work of the master gardener because the true vine needs to grow faith or fruit-bearing disciples. The true vine needs to produce fruit-bearing disciples. Look back down with me at what Jesus says here. We're not going to read all of it just for time, but look back down at verse 4 where Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What's the key to being a fruit-bearing disciple? The key to being a fruit-bearing disciple is to abide in Christ. Now, again, this is one of these places, like, can we pick a different word? <laughs> like, it seems so obscure. Like, we don't really use that word all the time. Come abide with me. <laughs> like, does that mean, like, come live in my house? Is that, like, what does that mean? But here's what abiding means. I think sometimes we think abiding means to kind of settle in and just be present for something. Abiding actually means something more important. Abiding means we maintain an unbroken connection to the source of our life and our purpose and our meaning. Abiding, we maintain an unbroken connection, a constant, active relationship between a believer and her Lord. A branch doesn't live if it's not connected to the vine. We can't produce fruit unless we're connected to Jesus. And I remember, you know, a few years ago, I had a friend call me. He's like, hey, Joss, I got asked to go speak at this retreat, and they told me that the, they told me that the theme of the retreat is abide, and I just started laughing at him. I was like, good luck, man. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do a whole retreat. And we started talking and tossing around ideas and what we we're going to do. And finally, we, he ended up with this idea. He said, look, here's what I think abiding is. You guys ready? Here's your test. How many of you guys without moving a single cheek from where it's seated, could touch your cell phone right now? Many of you? How many of you, let me ask you, how many of you have turned around and driven maybe an unreasonable amount because you left your phone at home or at work or someplace else? How many of you guys have had that moment where you're like, oh no, where is it? Where is my phone? Where did I put it? Where did I place it? I really think the best picture we have abiding right now is the way that we treat our cell phones. Um, and God bless cell phones. I love them. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying anything bad about cell phones. They are, they are tools that God can use for good in our lives. But what I'm trying to say is that we know this abiding relationship that Christ is talking about. Something that's constantly with us, that we turn to when we, when we have a question, that we turn to when we need to know what's going on, this source that we might turn to when we maybe need some comfort or some distraction, a source that we turn to when we need to communicate. We need some orienting principle, a map, uh, a, a, a a, um, you know, weather forecast, something. We grab our phones, and I think that this is exactly the kind of relationship that Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, look, abide with me. When you have a question, talk to me. When you want to know what's going on, talk to me. I'm right here. Reach out for me. I'm as close as I could possibly be. Come, abide with me, and let me abide in you. I think so many times, a lot of people, I, I, don't, I don't know how many, but I think a lot of people kind of, they have this nice little kind of corner of their life that Jesus goes in, and he's, he's a really great part of a well-rounded life. And it's good to go to church when, when we're able, and it's good to give money as we feel, um, you know, the, the mood strikes us, and it's good to do all of these things as it comes upon us, but that's not really abiding Abiding is growing into a, 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 a sense that God is with me always and that I can talk to him and that I can use him as a resource and I can rely on him whenever I need it. Jesus says, abide in me. Maintain unbroken connection with me. 
Don't think it's an accident, you guys. I do not think it's an accident that Jesus talks about abiding after he's talked about the promise of pruning. Because the gardener is going to prune us, and some of us are going to feel like, I'm out. It was this hard. It was going to be this painful. It was going to feel that drastic and cruel, the work of God in my life. Like, why is God doing this? And I have seen many people walk away because they say, God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this thing to happen in my life? And yet Jesus says abiding follows pruning because he wants us to know, abide. Stick with me. Even when the master gardener is up in your branches with scissors, cutting stuff out, stay close. The call to abide follows the promise of pruning. And so Jesus tells us a couple things that we do to, to facilitate the abiding. Look down with me at verse 7. He says, if you abide in me, and then he says, if my words abide in you. Right? So there's a sense that the, the, the fruit-bearing disciple has, is connected to the word of God. That the word of God is, is something that brings them meaning and purpose, and those words take root just like we take root in God, that those words might take root in us. We might know what the scripture says. We might follow it faithfully. We might hear the very voice of God in our lives when we need to hear it from his scripture. And so abide in me, and then let my words abide in you, Christ says. And then what does he say? He says, then ask for whatever you wish, and it'll be done. Bob did a good job of talking us through that uh, idea a couple weeks ago. We're not, we won't dig back into it, but the, the fruit-bearing disciple prays. And, and the fruit-bearing disciple has, its, has her desires and her wants and the things that she prays for, shaped by her abiding in Christ. So a fruit-bearing disciple abides, she, she sticks. And a fruit-bearing disciple knows the words of God. She's committed to learning the scripture and, and hiding it in her heart. And the fruit-bearing disciple, she prays. And she talks to God and she lets her requests like, be shaped by the very heart of Jesus and the life that's coming from the vine. And then did you notice what else? Further on, Jesus says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And so the fruit-bearing disciple obeys talk about this all the time, the things that God asks us to do, they're really just about boundaries beyond which love can't exist. And so keeping God's commands is really just about saying, hey, I'm going to do the things that God says it means to love him. I'm going to do the things that God says it means to love others. And so I'm going to, I'm going to obey him because that's what it is to abide and to know his love. So the fruit-bearing disciple she abides, she knows the word of God, she prays, and she obeys. And if you're like me, you sit there going, well, that's so simple. Why is it so hard? Anyone else? These are things we all know. So why is it so hard? Well, it's hard because growing takes time. It's hard because growing takes time. God is invested in a lifelong project with the title of your name. God is invested in a lifelong project of Jocelyn. God is invested in a lifelong project of you, and it's hard because growing is hard. It takes attention. It takes work. It takes, it takes stuff to do. I think this might be one of the reasons I'm so bad at it. 
I can't make plants grow, right? And sometimes I wonder if God looks at me and he goes, that's a tough one, you know? Maybe we need to like change some soil or put it where it gets some more sun. Like, I don't know. But I do know this. Here's, these things seem so simple. And friends, if you struggle with them, welcome. Welcome. I don't know a single serious follower of Jesus who doesn't find some portion of this really hard. The growth that God wants to produce in us is about the glory that comes to his name because of the way that we live in the world, and that is no small thing. But it is, look, full of love and full of joy. So Jesus gets to the end on the night that he's going to the cross, and he says, I've told you these things, I've told you these things, that your joy may be full. I don't know about some of you. I could, I could use a refill on joy these days. I could you use a refill? Use a, like top off that, that joy meter? It comes as we abide in Christ. Let me pray. God, I do pray. I, I know that probably in this room there are many people who are rediscovering what it means that you are the source of their life or their identity or their meaning. I also have a sense that there's many people in this room who are enduring a season of pruning, who are maybe struggling with what it means to be a a disciple who prays and reads scripture and is obedient. Lord, in all those things, I ask that your, um, your Holy Spirit that he might empower all of the work that you desire to do in us. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.